The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 71 of the podcast, or you're watching it on YouTube. Either way, welcome to the show. Today's Sunday, November the 19th. It is the week before Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving, happy Black Friday, happy Cyber Monday, whatever else you're going to be doing in the upcoming week. Enjoy it. I am joined sometimes the case by my co-hosts with a fresh new haircut all the way from New Jersey, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you doing this Sunday evening, my friend? Bill, I'm awesome. Got a short work week and happy also included in the holiday, Small Business Saturday. Go out there and support small business. <laughs> all right. I, I don't know if we qualify as that. Are we a small business? We're not oh. really... Well, we start selling merch, I think we'll qualify. Yeah, that's true. That'll be on the horizon sometime soon. Send me some suggestions if you're listening. Uh, what what kind of MMA on the Rocks merch you'd like to see? I've been looking into some different things. But we are in the business of drinking booze, Jeff, and that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm getting in the holiday spirit early. I'm having a little bit of Captain Morgan rum. I got a cinnamon stick in there. And a splash of apple cider. I bought the apple cider for my uh, my infamous hot cider rum recipe that I make every year on Thanksgiving. Uh, I made a video last year. I might make a better one this year. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I haven't been doing the YouTube videos in a while. Um, but the hot rum cider is always a hit at Thanksgiving, especially if you're uh, if you're dining with a more elegant crowd as I am, and you can't just be chugging whiskey all night. Um, the, the rum cider is a classier way to go. So what I do, Jeff, I've explained this to you before. I heat up some apple cider, uh, in a big pot on the stove and I put some orange slices in there, like uh, just kind of slice them vertically, make them about a quarter of an inch thick. And then I put some clove chunks in the orange slice. And then I let those simmer in the apple cider while it's cooking. And then I throw some cinnamon sticks in there as well. Bring it almost to a boil, let it kind of simmer, and then I add some rum to it. I'm not too big on measuring shit. You know this, Jeff. Uh, so add enough rum until it tastes good enough for you or it gets you enough of a buzz. Uh, and then serve it in some coffee mugs, and uh, it, it'll be a big hit. You could even serve it with the orange slices in there. Just take the clove chunks out. Um, but, yeah, I make it every year on Thanksgiving, and I'm really looking forward to it. But I'm drinking some chilled Captain Morgan with uh, some chilled apple cider right now. I'm quite enjoying it. Um, any booze talk before we jump into this uh, fight card from Sydney, Australia, Jeff? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, I'm trying to save a little bit more money. So I was getting drunk on a budget this weekend, Bill, throwing it back to the old college days when I couldn't afford anything with some PBR. Um, I forget what mm. the P stands for. I think it's props. It's uh, Pabst. Oh, Pabst. Pabst. Pabst the Blue Ribbon. It's part of the Blue Ribbon Army yeah. this past weekend. There you go. Uh, 
Blue Rib, uh, PER was a go-to for me uh, back in the day. I do enjoy it every now and then. It's a tasty beer, mm -hmm. um, and, and it's a great go-to. I'm glad that it's still cheap because I know it had gotten very trendy for a while, and a lot of the, uh, the young hipster millennial crowd was all into the PBR uh, because it's cool and it's cheap, but I I'm glad to see that it stayed cheap. You could still you could still pick up a PBR for like two fifty for a sixteen ounce at a bar, uh, which is always a nice bargain. There there used to be this bar in downtown Manhattan. I think it was on the Lower East Side called the Cabin. They used to do on Friday nights. It was three bucks for a shot of well whiskey and a sixteen ounce PBR, and uh, it was. If you're prone to hangovers, it was a terrible recipe. I'm not. So, uh, well, whiskey at PBR is fine with me for $3. So, uh, I, I used to quite enjoy that dive bar down there. Uh, you, you should go check that place out, Jeff. Actually, I think you would really like it. Kind of a bikery bar feel to it. Uh, you know, kind of place that has, like, piss on everything. Um, but they got a pool table and they got cheap drinks. So, it's a good time. So I recommend it. Uh, in the meantime, uh, hopefully everybody out there lets me know what you're drinking over the holidays because uh, I'm always looking for some new things to mix it up. Uh, I'm really enjoying people sending me what they're, what they're uh, drinking during the fights. Shout out to Brendan Cregan who was uh, tweeting at me last night drinking the old granddad bottled and bond 100 proof, uh, which if you remember, Jeff, I was drinking that. I think it was UFC 213. Uh, so that's that's a real great go-to bourbon because it's easy on a wallet. You can pick up a bottle for uh, 20 bucks at a good liquor store, and it's 100 proof. Uh, and it has to be aged for four years to be in accordance with the Bottle and Bond Act. Uh, so that's a really delicious bourbon uh, that's really easy on the wallet. So maybe you should look into that uh, for over the holidays, Jeff. That would be, be a good pickup for you. I don't remember if you tried that one or not while you were down here visiting. I don't know if I had that bottle yet. No, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I think you got that a little bit after I left. The timeline is blurred, Jeff, as you yeah. well know. I got some stuff, though, that I am I am reluctantly hanging on to until you come down and visit again because uh, I picked up some stuff in Arizona, and I, I got some other things I'm keeping on a, on a top shelf out of reach that I have to get out a ladder to, to go and get it <laughs> if I want to, uh, trying to save me for myself. But yeah, I'm getting settled in the new house here. As you can see, there's nothing in this room. <laughs> I'm sitting on a little stool right now and I have my, I have my computer on like a, on like a short, uh, nightstand dresser. And, uh, I have my other monitor that I always have the fight cards on. It's sitting on top of a hamper. Um, <laughs> but we're still doing a damn thing, Jeff. We got to keep the show going. Last week we were late and people were mad. <laughs> so sorry to everybody out there. Yeah. It, <laughs> I, it amazes me that people actually rely on this show sometimes for the result of the fights, but believe it or not, Jeff, uh, people, people are waiting to hear what we have to say. Um, so thank you for everybody who does that. Although, I, I can't imagine why. And thanks again for sending me uh, everything you guys were drinking during the fights, especially last night. Uh, a lot of you guys were uh, <laughs> and and kind of bitching about this card from Sydney, Australia. 
uh, Fight Night 121, headlined by Fabricio Verdum and Marcin Tabora. So Verdum, a last-minute replacement for Mark Hunt, who was pulled off of the card by the UFC, uh, and he was furious about it. And, and he was basically uh, saying that, you know, the UFC had no right to do that. But I don't know if you know the whole story behind this, Jeff. A couple of weeks prior, Mark Hunt was complaining about a head injury, and he said he wakes up some days and he doesn't know where he is or what's going on. Uh, so uh, basically signs of head trauma. So the UFC said, you know, if you want to stay on this card in Sydney, Australia, which is, you know, really close to where Mark Hunt is from, that he has to go to Vegas and get checked out by the UFC's doctors, and Mark Hunt refused. So the UFC pulled him from the card, and uh, he was furious, and he was saying that, you know, they're trying to sabotage him, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the counter-argument there is that why would they pull him off a card when he's such a big draw in Australia? Uh, it's basically costing the UFC money to do so. Uh, so they'd have to be pretty vindictive to have to shell out money out of their own pocket. And they had to pull a last-minute replacement. Luckily, Fabricio Verdum stepped up uh, after having fought, what, four weeks ago uh, against a last-minute replacement opponent, too. I mean, this is the number three-ranked heavyweight fighter in the world and twice in a row uh, has fought guys at the last minute that he didn't know he was going to be fighting. So uh, you have to respect Fabrizio Verdum in that respect, stepping up to fight anyone and risking that top ranking. But he truly believes that he's the best heavyweight in the world, so he's willing to step in and fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. So you got to respect him for that. Uh, I don't know about his antics outside the cage, but uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts about how this main event came together here and uh, your thoughts about Mark Hunt getting pulled off of this card in Australia? Yeah, Bill, I think that the UFC made the right call. They were thinking of the safety of the fighter first, and, you know, uh, I think it was a matter of time. You know, Mark Hunt's been in some wars, uh, not just in the UFC, but outside the UFC in kickboxing. So, you know, uh, I really would like for him to get checked out by the UFC, man. Uh, you know, dude's probably mm -hmm. taking a million headshots by now. But, um, you know, we're hoping that Mark Hunt uh, gets better soon. And as for the Fabrizio Verdum uh, replacement, dude, you know, you got to give it to him. The dude went five rounds. Uh, he didn't have a full camp. So all credit in the world to him. But overall, Bill, I'm not going to lie, maybe it was because of the short notice, but uh, this main event did not really do it for me. Although, granted, I was pretty exhausted by the time it came on over here on the East Coast. It was about 1-something uh, a.m., and I was pretty bushed, man. Um, so I was in and out of it. Um, the parts I did watch, unfortunately, didn't really do it for me, Bill. But I believe you caught the entirety of the fight, so why don't you... Uh, give us a recap. What were some highlights from this fight that you really thought stood out for both fighters? Uh, well, the highlights, the fact that two big heavyweights who are both pretty soggy around the midsection were able to go five rounds, and they were still they they were still upholding a a pretty a pretty competitive pace in that fifth round. I mean, they were both going for it at the end. Uh, they they got right in the pocket and they were swinging at each other at the end of that fight. I thought it was a really competitive fight, and I'm with you, Jeff, that this one went a little bit late. 
um, it was a really long card because there were only three finishes and they were all on the undercard. So the main card, uh, you know, when they all go to decision, it, it gets to be a really long time. And uh, people tend to complain when there's not a lot of finishes. I I don't really understand that personally. I like to see competitive fights. I thought we saw a lot of that. I thought there were some really uh, excellent fights despite going to decision. I thought this main card, uh, you know, had a, a lot of great matchmaking on it. Um, highlights for Tabora, definitely his submission defense because he was mounted by Fabrizio Redoom. There's not a lot of guys uh, in the world who can withstand that. Uh, and that's in the mixed martial arts world and in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu world. I mean, you're talking about an Abu Dhabi gold medalist in Fabrizio Verdum. He's one of the best grapplers on the planet. And it, you're talking about a guy in Tabora who was mounted. He was taking elbows to the face. And, uh, you know, Verdum, who's very tricky in every position, for he doesn't have to get mount. Uh, he's tricky off, enough off of his back. Uh, so... Tabura being able to survive that really speaks to his skills on the ground. Um, I know he prefers to stand up. And, uh, you know, Verdum's Muay Thai looks pretty solid. Uh, he was throwing some knees from really far away that were kind of confusing. I don't know if he was throwing them as a distraction, uh, but they weren't coming close to landing. And then even at the end of the fight, he was like, I had the really nice knees. Uh, <laughs> and when he was assessing his own performance, uh, so I, I don't know where that assessment came from or who told him that he was throwing nice knees. Uh, I think towards the end, he was he was landing a couple once Tabura was a little bit rocked. But uh, for most of the fight, he was he, he was whiffing with those knees. Uh, but I thought it was a competitive fight. I, I definitely have a lot of respect for both of these guys. Um, one thing I didn't like was Fabrizio Verdum had locked up a guillotine on Tabura at the end of the fourth round, and he didn't let it go. He heard the bell. He, uh, he felt the referee, Leon Roberts, tap him on the shoulder, and and he held it longer, and Tabro got pissed off. He was like, what the fuck are you doing? And um, Verdum did end up apologizing. But, you know, this has always been the problem with Verdum. It's it's not his performance in the cage, but, uh, I, I mean, this time it was in the cage, but he's always getting involved in some dumb antics, like kicking coaches or... Uh, wearing a Nike fight kit or throwing boomerangs at <laughs> welterweight fighters or getting into arguments with lightweight fighters when you're a heavyweight. Uh, it's just a bad look for him. Uh, I don't know if you heard or not uh, over the weekend, Jeff, that uh, Fabrizio Verdum hit Kobe Covington in the face with a boomerang uh, at a hotel in Australia. I, I could see by uh, <laughs> your eyes bugging out on the other side, you hadn't heard this story. No, I had not. Why would you do that? Like, just as a person, why would you do that to somebody? <laughs> Jeez. Kobe Covington's pressing charges. So here's what happened. You're all aware that Kobe Covington had some pretty nasty things to say about Brazilians a couple of weeks ago after his win over Damian Maia in Sao Paulo. So uh, Brazilians are not the type to let things go. <laughs> I think, and I think that's putting it, mildly and politically correct as politically correct as possible so verdum sees kobe covington walking through the lobby of a hotel in australia and he had a plastic bag in his hand with a boomerang in it i guess from the gift shop 
and they exchanged some words. You can see the video online. I'll, I'll try and share something out on Twitter, uh, although I'm not one to typically share uh, dramatic things, but it, since it's relevant to what we're talking about, I'll try and push that out. So they, they're a couple of feet away, and then you see Fabrizio Verdum just reach out and throw the bag at Covington and it hits him in the face. And we find out later that there was a boomerang in the bag. Uh, so it gave him a pretty good welt on his face. Uh, allegedly Verdum also punched him in the face. There's no video of that though. But I mean, if you're a professional fighter, definitely don't hit people with things or don't hit people at all uh, in public. I, I know the guy said some pretty shitty things, but uh you know, one wrong turn does not deserve another, uh, so to speak. Uh, any thoughts on this incident now that you've heard about it all, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, dude. Um, you know, as offensive and irritating as uh, Covington's comments were, I think this is still super uncalled for. Um, for Doom is a pretty public public figure at this point in his career, so you know. Uh, he's got a lot of eyes on him, man, and I think he's he has not been making the best decisions as of late. Um, I don't know if maybe the the resurrection of his career has maybe gone to his head a little bit. Um, but I don't know, Bill. I mean, I can't find any logical explanation that would make sense for throwing a boomerang, which is basically a weapon at somebody. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and I don't know. I don't know what the laws are like in Australia or what kind of charges can be pressed against him, but I do know that Colby Covington planning to take some legal action about this matter. And then Colby Covington did like a Facebook live or a Periscope or one of those videos where he was chasing after for doom. And uh, he was calling him some derogatory things, uh, including some homophobic slurs. Uh, so uh, Covington really going hard for this heel angle. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it's kind of, it kind of reminds me of the Angela Magana issue where she was talking so much shit about cyborg. I mean, that was a little bit more personal where she was personally attacking someone, uh, and then cyborg cyborg punched her in the face at the UFC, uh, retreat. This is a little bit more, you know, defensible for Covington, I think, because, He's making general statements to get a rise out of people to get attention. And this is somebody who took it personally. He wasn't personally attacking Fabrice over doom, but uh, you know, uh, you can't really determine how somebody feels uh, about words. Some people are more sensitive to them than others. Um, in any case, moving on to the co-main event, uh, just a circus of daddy issues with Jessica Rose Clark and Beck Rawlings. Uh, coming together for a flyweight competition. Both of these women uh, testing out the waters at flyweight. And it was one of many split decisions uh, of the night. I don't really understand why it was a split decision. Uh, I thought Jessica Rose Clark uh, took this one uh, pretty convincingly. Um, but she also did not make weight which, you know, I'm not a fan of, Jeff, but apparently this was like a last-minute fight for her, and uh, I do understand that that women have different means for retaining water in their body, and it could be a little bit more difficult for them. So uh, I, don't, I don't get as upset about it. 
I get upset when it's the men, especially the men who have been wrestling their whole lives and they should have cutting weight down to a science. Uh, but this is a competitive fight. Uh, and these two were familiar with each other. I believe they had trained together. They're both Australian. Um, Jessica Rose Clark had been in Invicta for a long time, and she got the call up to the UFC, stepped in there with Beck Rawlings. Any thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, but it looked pretty straightforward. I thought Rose Clark came out and just did what she needed to do. She looked good everywhere, man, so I agree with you. I really didn't see this one being a split decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, so there were a lot of split decisions on this card. I don't know who the rogue judge was that wasn't seeing it uh, the, the way that the other judges were. Uh, so the fight before that, Bilal Muhammad and Tim Means, this is the fight I was most looking forward to on the card. Uh, I thought this was a really competitive fight. And I, when the decision first came out, this one I could understand being a split decision because it was a really close fight. At first, I thought it could have gone to means because he had a lot more volume and he was pressing forward a lot more. Uh, but a lot of what he was landing were a lot of flicking jabs and the commentary team of Dan Hardy and John Gooden were saying that, uh, Tim means was doing a great job of using his reach. I kind of disagree because Bilal Muhammad was landing this, uh, body hook, uh, combination. He would throw uh, a straight to the body and then a hook to means his face and he was landing it at will and he was landing <clears throat> quite a few hooks which is a much more damaging punch than a jab so although means was landing the jab a lot uh you got to give credit to Bilal muhammad for landing that hook and then he also showed that he could have taken means down at will uh he took him down at one point in the second round and then just kind of let him back up i think just to show that he could so uh you know, you never know what the judges are looking for here. Uh, I, I'm always one to weigh takedowns more heavily personally, but I I didn't in this fight just because it was the one takedown. He didn't really do anything with it. Not like he held Tim Means down. He just let him back up. So, like I said, uh, I, I thought the decision was going to go to Means, but when it didn't and it went to Muhammad and I started thinking about the fight again afterwards, I was like, well, he kept landing the, that hook over and over again. Um, but this is a really close fight. This was the only one I think should have been a split decision. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I think uh, the argument could be made for either side here. Uh, it was super close. I I kind of agree with you. I kind of had it for Tim Means, but at the same time, I can see why the judges gave it to Muhammad. Uh, but overall, it was a really good fight. I thought it was really competitive. This was uh, up there as one of my favorite fights of the night. Yeah, for sure. I think I think it lived up to the expectations uh, or the hype in my own head. Uh, I'm a fan of both of these fighters. I think I think they always put on a good show. And Bilal Muhammad calling out Colby Covington, who's not making too many friends these days. Um, a lot of people want to get their hands on that guy, but at least they're in the same weight class and they're not in a hotel lobby. And Bilal Muhammad's not armed with a boomerang, so maybe something to consider. Um, while we're on the topic of the welterweights, uh, rumor floating around that uh, Tyron Woodley's been offered a fight with Nate Diaz. And a lot of people think that Nate, D Nate Diaz would uh, get smoked in that fight. Uh, I'm curious to hear what you think about that matchup, and do you think there's any chance of it coming together, Jeff? Bill, I'll be honest. I don't see Nate Diaz deserving 
of that title shot. Uh, but unfortunately, you can't give it to Wonder Boy at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I I guess I could get behind that. I'd like to I'd like to see it more for um, for publicity's sake. Uh, I think Nate Diaz would really have to carry the trash talk because we've talked about how Woodley doesn't say much. Um, mm -hmm. But overall, I think this fight would be the fight itself. I think would be boring. And I think Nate Diaz actually gets smoked. I think uh, I think he either gets grounded out by uh, by Tyron Woodley's wrestling, or he gets ground and pounded by Tyron Woodley. So I don't see Diaz winning that fight. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you know, I I can see from a marketing perspective if you're looking down the line uh, from the perspective of the USC, the reason they're putting this fight together. Um, and I, I don't know if everyone else out there has put it together, but the reason they would put this fight together is if in the off chance that Nate Diaz beats Tyron Woodley, which I don't think is too out of the question. I got to be honest, Jeff. I think, I think he does stand a chance because if it goes to the ground, Nate Diaz is very dangerous off of his back. Uh, he's very long. He's much longer than Tyron Woodley, I believe. And he's great at using his range for boxing. So as long as he can keep those power shots of Woodley uh, at bay, and we know Nate Diaz can take a sh shot, you know, I, I don't, th I don't think he necessarily gets smoked. Um, I, I think it could actually be a competitive fight, but I think what the UFC is hoping for here is that Nate Diaz wins, and then you have a super fight between him and Connor with the potential of Connor winning a third title, uh, which obviously would be historic for the UFC. This would be such a hugely marketable fight. Or you could have them fight at 155, and then Nate Diaz could be the one holding two belts, and then he he's the winner of the trilogy. Either way, uh, you know, you have you have a marketing dream on your hands if Nate Diaz is able to beat Tyron Woodley. Um, and, and, you know, uh, man, it, it would really be interesting. I mean, you know, Nate Diaz isn't really a natural welterweight, but he's fought there before. Um, you know, he's very tall for a lightweight. I think he's six foot. Uh, so if he had time to put on some weight, um, uh, and, and come up with a game plan, I think it'd be a competitive fight. Um, and then you, at, at that point, you kind of have to throw out the window, you know, who's deserving of a title shot because they've been giving the number one contenders title shots and uh, this division is dead in the water right now because the last three title uh, matches at the welterweight uh, division have been very uh, unentertaining, to say the least. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you look at... If you look at guys that have given Tyron Woodley problems in the past, uh, Rory McDonald, Jake Shields, uh, both you know both of those guys are similar to Nate Diaz. Jake Shields trains trains with uh, Nate Diaz. Uh, you know both have decent boxing and and good grappling skills. Um, so uh, I, I think it'd be interesting. I, I wouldn't rule it out happening just because. You know the UFC is looking ahead and and how they can put Connor on a higher platform and and make more money and you can't really fault him for that because this is sports entertainment and you know uh, people have to get paid here. All right, so let's uh, move on down this fight card. Uh, I'm going to struggle with this name, but Jake Matthews 
and Bojan Velikovic, I believe. What do you think, Jeff? Uh, I think it might be Velisakovic. I don't know. Yeah, let's go. Whatever. Um, for, for, the, for this one. This was a split decision for Jake Matthews, which I think he clearly won uh, because he's the local guy. Um, I, I thought uh, the uh, Russian or Ukrainian gentleman, I, I don't really know. Uh, I thought Jake Matthews uh, lost this fight uh, decisively. Uh, he kept going in for a, a single leg takedown and would hold on to the leg while he was getting smashed in the head and wasn't really implementing any chain wrestling. Uh, now, I, I hate to speak on strategy too much because I'm not a professional fighter, but I have been grappling for 22 some odd years now, and I do train with professional fighters pretty regularly. And uh, I don't know anybody who would advise to hold on to a single leg for that long in an MMA match. Um, it's dangerous because you're just taking punishment in the head. You got to implement some chain wrestling there. You got to try and move to a double. You got to try and run the pipe. You got to try and switch it up to a body lock, something move. So you're not getting hit in the head. Um, uh, Bojan was getting the better of the ground exchanges. Uh, I don't really want to spend too much time on this fight because I don't think it really has uh, any implications right now. Uh, so unless you have any thoughts on it, Jeff, I'll move on to Ultimate Fighter Nation's alumni uh, or alumnus, Elias Theodoru and Daniel Kelly. Uh, supposedly there was some bad blood between these two guys, um, but I don't. I didn't really hear anything about it. That's just what the broadcast team was saying. I mean, these seem like two very respectful guys to me. Theodoru not really known for trash talk he's a he's kind of a jokester on twitter and stuff like that and daniel kelly doesn't seem to say much of anything he's very respectful martial artist i thought this was a really interesting fight and theodora was landing a lot of head kicks on daniel kelly but he throws his kicks uh his head kicks with a, a weird kind of snap to him where he doesn't really put a lot of torque into his kicks so he kind of throws them like jabs kind of walking right through them uh but they're not meant to be ko kicks i don't believe you know he just kind of flicks them out there because uh that's his style and he he throws his body kicks in a similar fashion not necessarily to do damage but just to kind of score points in there and that's just the way he fights i mean he's kind of a point fighter uh I don't believe he has too many finishes on his record but i thought this was an interesting fight it was very back and forth um, at the end of this, I thought Theodoro had won, but I wouldn't have been surprised if the decision went to Daniel Kelly because he was the local guy and you got the local judges, local athletic commission, but, uh, the decision went to Theodoro and I think that was the right call. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, I thought this one was really close. I kind of had Dan Kelly winning it just because he was pushing forward he was looking uh, slightly better on the ground in the beginning. And mm -hmm. in the last round, I believe, he had a, a rear naked choke locked on Elias Theodoro, and he just at no point did he get his hooks in. So unfortunately, uh, I thought I kind of took off points for that. But overall, I thought Dan Kelly had it uh, just slightly, though. 
Uh, I thought the pushing forward was good. But Theodoru, like you said, he throws these weird kicks, man. And, like, it looks like they don't even have power behind them sometimes. Because um, mm-hmm. he kind of brings his leg up and then unfolds his knee to kind yeah. of shoot. It's, it's, it's really weird the way he strikes. Um, but I, I like this fight. This one was up there uh, with the Bilal Muhammad fight as uh, one of my favorite fights of the night. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought it was a very competitive fight. It was very interesting. And those kicks are deceiving. So if you don't if you don't really notice what he's doing, how he's kind of flicking those kicks out there, um, you know, and you're scoring the fight, you're just scoring it as he's landing a head kick, which is a majorly significant strike. And I, I believe it would be worth the same amount of points if you land a head kick, you know, whether it was a hard head kick or or a really soft kind of jabbing head kick. Uh, so it really depends on perspective. Uh, so I, I kind of thought the right thing was for Theodore to get the nod there, but you know, I, I see your perspective too, Jeff, Daniel Kelly, uh, you know, he, he looks good against the, the younger, uh, less experienced fighter in there, but you know, Theodore was the one who won their season of the ultimate fighter. So, uh, I guess there's a reason for that. I want to, uh, uh, kind of breeze over the rest of this card, Jeff. I'm going to throw the three finishes on the card at you, which all came during the prelims, and they were the only finishes on the card. So Ryan Benoit uh, KOs Ashkan Mokhtarian in the third round with a nasty head kick. Nick Lentz submits former teammate Will Brooks with a guillotine in the second round. And then Ty... Uh, Taya Tilvasa uh, KO'd Rashad Coulter with a really impressive uh, flying knee towards the end of the first round of their heavyweight bout. So, Jeff, out of these three finishes, tension the most. I'll be honest with you. For the first time on this show, Bill, I'm going to have to give it a three-way tie. All of these (laughs) were were very, very awesome because of – kind of the stuff that was going on behind the scenes. So if you didn't catch these, Ryan ben- Benoit, uh, or Benoit, I might be saying that wrong, uh, versus Mkhitaryan, uh, I loved it just because the ebb and flow of that fight. You know, it was looking mm-hmm. like Mkhitaryan had it if it was going to a de- decision, and then Benoit just pulled it out at the end. Nick Lentz versus Will Brooks. I just love how angry Nick Lentz was and how uh, he was saying, you know, if I switch teams, I can do better. I know I can beat anybody. And in the post-fight um, interview, he was even saying, you know, I got 50 grand that I can beat anybody uh, on your team, uh, Will Brooks' team, to be exact. Uh, so definitely go back and watch that one. And then Ty Tuvasa versus Rashad Coulter. Uh, dude, I, Ty Tuvasa just landed his flying knee. I, I've i never seen a heavyweight be that athletic, except maybe mm-hmm. uh, for Doom every now and then. But just... Go back and watch that. This guy defies just the laws of gravity. Uh, so all these fights were awesome. I'd go back and watch any of them again. Yeah, for sure. I, I, um, I, I'm not the biggest fan of Nick Lentz, but I did like the the guillotine finish. And if you train with guys who are well versed in the guillotine, uh, I mean, you should know not to go for lazy double legs and leaving your neck hanging out there. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, this one ha- has a special place for me because I, I'm a big fan of the guillotine, as you well know, Jeff. And uh, <laughs> all, all my teammates know it. 
as well. They, they pretty much know it's the only thing I go for. So if I were to ever have to fight any of them, uh, I would think that they would want to avoid that. Now, I'm not saying I, I'm at the level of a Nick Lentz or any professional fighter, but yeah, I, I always like to see a guillotine finish because that is my my favorite submission. Uh, but those other, those, the knockouts were pretty amazing, pretty spectacular. Um, any one of these fights uh, would have made a big splash in the main card for sure. And I think uh, maybe would have changed people's opinions on the card itself. Uh, any other thoughts on UFC Fight Night 121 before we move on to other news, Jeff? Nope. I think we can start moving on, Bill. Overall, good card. All right. So after the holiday, while everybody's uh, digesting and eating leftovers and everything like that, uh, Michael Bisping will not be enjoying any Thanksgiving festivities. I can't say the same for Kelvin Gastelum because he's probably still going to have some mashed potatoes and gravy <laughs> before, he, before his weigh-ins. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Bisping, who is not American anyway, so he probably won't, wouldn't have been celebrating Thanksgiving, but he does live uh, in California now, I believe. So he's, I guess he's an American citizen, but I'm sure he doesn't care too much about Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, three weeks off of his loss against George St. Pierre. We started talking about this briefly last week, Jeff, and now he stepped up to headline against Kelvin Gastelum, replacing the injured, or not the injured, the uh, steroid-induced Anderson Silva, who once again has tested positive for steroids. And um, I think I said it last week, the first time, I think I was a little more forgiving of it because he had just broken his leg in half and I, uh, and he was getting in there with Nick Diaz. And I was of the opinion, you know, let that guy take whatever he wants to, to step into that cage under those circumstances. But credit to Michael Bisbang for stepping up here. Uh, I think Kelvin Gaslam is a slight favorite here. Bisbang still got to be pretty bruised up. Um, I don't know. How do you see this one going down, Jeff? Because... This is this is an interesting scenario. I, I can't recall seeing anything like this. A, a guy taking a beating in a main event and coming back three weeks later. Uh, this is this is pretty unheard of. So, what are your thoughts here, Bill? I think that Bisping is very angry that he lost to George Saint Pierre, and I think he wants to kind of win at least one one more and then kind of ride off into the sunset. Man, I mean, he's got his his title belt, so you know he's he's into the history of the UFC, whether you like it or not, he, you know, he's going to go down as a middleweight champion. <clears throat> he's going to go down as one of the few men to beat Anderson Silva. So I think he kind of just wants to go off with a win. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Um, and so this fight card's in China. So he's also, uh, you know, flying around the world. Uh, man, credit to Bisping, but, you, you got to be concerned for him stepping in against, you know, a young, hungry fighter like Kelvin Gaslam. Very hungry, in fact, uh, because he... <laughs> he and metaphorically hungry. Yeah, because the, the whole reason he's fighting a middleweight is because, he, as we all know, he couldn't make welterweight anymore, and the UFC forced him to move up. Uh, so a lot of um, not very well-known fighters on this card, but I'm looking forward to it because these are usually the cards... Uh, that will surprise you. But Chase Sherman hiding out uh, around the bottom of this card. 
And then you got a uh, Bruce Leroy in there. Uh, you got some some interesting interesting fighters on here. Bobby Nash is in there. Kalen Curran is fighting on there. Um, uh, a lot of great records looking up and down this card. A lot of Russian names that are really ridiculously hard looking to pr pronounce. And um, you know you got some Chinese fighters mixed in there as well uh, for the Chinese crowd. Uh, out there in Shanghai. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to this one, Jeff. It'll be a nice little wind down from the holidays and from the Black Friday shopping and whatever whatever uh, unpleasantries you have planned uh, for the holidays. Uh, anything else you notice coming up in the news or anything like that, Jeff? The MMA world you want to talk about here? Yeah, Bill. How about we talk about the fact that this fight card is going to be on at 7 a.m. Bill, hmm. I don't know if I, I won't be able to do this, man. You might have to do a show without me next week. I might be sleeping all weekend. <laughs> have one of those turkey hangovers, a, a tryptophan. Um, get, get yourself some rum and cider. Uh, I actually, I actually have cable now, Jeff, in this new house, and I have DVR. And I'm really enjoying it. So my plan is to DVR this fight card and stay off of social media. Um, but in the meantime, I do want to hear from everybody on social media before this fight card. So let me know your holiday plans. Let me know what you guys are drinking over the holidays. If you got anything new and interesting, Jeff and I would both love to hear about it. You can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks everywhere on the internet so please do continue to reach out let us know what you guys are thinking and drinking during these fight cards and happy thanksgiving everybody enjoy the holiday uh, enjoy tolerating your families uh for probably longer than you would like to on a normal day and uh and enjoy the rum and the wine and all the food and until next time cheers everybody goodbye <laughs>